Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Aeronex podcast, the show that looks at the transition and transformation of the shipping and ocean space. I'm Craig Eason, the owner and editor of Fathom World and somewhat errant podcast host. So hopping right in, and this week I'm going to be talking about e-methanol as a marine fuel, or the future of it. Methanol is, of course, a hydrocarbon fuel, and yes, there are already some ships using it as a fuel today. Go to Gothenburg in Sweden, watch the ferries coming in and out of the port, and you'll soon catch sight of Stena Germanica. But methanol today is mostly made from fossil fuels, largely by reforming natural gas, but it can be produced differently either using bioproducts or through electrolysis, and a catalytic reaction bringing hydrogen and CO2 together. Sweden has become a focal point somewhat for methanol in recent years. Not only is there the Lund University-led fastwater project, which recently demonstrated how green methanol could be used to power a pilot boat for the Swedish Maritime Authority, and Stena taking part in a project that saw methanol formed from the CO2 captured from a steel plant in northern Sweden for the Stena Germanica. There are also companies like Carbon Recycling International, CRI, in Iceland, which was a partner in the steel CO2 project with Stena. There's also Waste Fuel in the US, which has an investment from AP Müller-Mersk, and Denmark's European Energy, which through its subsidiary Reintegrate, a power-to-X company, has the contract to supply 10,000 tonnes of fuel for Maersk's first methanol vessel, a small 2,100 TU regional container ship. Methanex in Canada is one of, if not the largest, producers of industrial methanol, and through its waterfront shipping subsidiary, has a number of chartered inf carriers already demonstrating the ability for methanol to be used as a fuel. The company was also on board with Stenner and the engineering firm Watzler when the Stenner Germanica had its engine to fuel tanks converted to be able to run off methanol, something like seven years ago. Now, you'll find methanol given different prefixes, grey methanol, blue methanol, green methanol, e-methanol. But when in a ship's fuel tank, it's all the same molecule and burns in the same way. In short, it refers to how the methanol is made, whether from natural gas or from a source using carbon capture, whether from organic resources or in e-methanol using electrolysis and gas reformation. The politics of production are becoming confusing and polarised, but shipping needs to move away from the traditional distillates and residual fuels it's currently using, and onto something different. The options for deep sea seem to be moving towards ammonia or methanol. So I wanted to talk to a methanol producer, or potential methanol producer, and find out their thoughts. So I turned to Klaus Fredriksson, CEO and founder of Liquid Wind in Sweden. The company has come a long way in the last six years, securing investment, equity partners and now, with a grant from a Swedish regional government to support it, the input and resources of Orsted, the Danish energy company, ahead of it building its first plant. Liquid Wind has plans to build a facility in northeast Sweden near a combined heat and power plant, from which it will capture and use the carbon dioxide from the plant's emissions and feed it into a catalytic methanol synthesizer along with hydrogen, the hydrogen being made through the electrolysis of water using renewable electricity which has come from onshore wind. This project is what Liquid Wind is calling the Flagship One project and it is into this project that Orsted has taken a 45% stake. 
But I started by asking Klaus about the initial seeds of interest looking at e-methanol, particularly as a marine fuel. We could easily see back in 2015 that this was the future, right? No, jokes aside, uh, why did we do this? It's because I have been in the clean tech space, as it's called, since 2003. I started working with hydrogen purification in, in Canada, selling solutions to the to the Japanese market and actually the, the South American market back in the days. And then I've been in clean tech ever since. And And what I've been looking for is a solution to the CO2 issue. I'm not sure it's a problem, but it's an issue. We need to reuse the CO2 in a clever way. And it was then back in, in 2015, I was at a conference and somebody basically presented that not only can we as humans make methanol from CO2 and, and hydrogen and we can make those components ourselves or create those components, it's also a better fuel. It's a better fuel for the engine. It's a better fuel for the environment because it doesn't have the socks and the knocks. So here was sort of right in front of me what seemed to be a very good idea. And and I had seen a couple of other ideas that were not as good. And I figured, let's let's do this. It's it's it was that simple. It, it was kind of a spur of the moment decision. Let's do this. And at the time, I was consulting for a company that was looking at ways of of securing the value of its wind. So they wanted to store a wind in something else. So I had a bit of, of sort of runway from a consulting point of view to figure out how would this actually work. And, and we then did a pre-study with nine different companies based here primarily in Sweden, of which we had the Gothenburg Energy Company, one of the other local energy companies we had. Siemens Energy, we had the Research Institute of Sweden. So we had a pretty good group of people come together and say, let's look at this together. And within a year, we'd done a bit of a feasibility study and came out saying, hmm, this is actually a nice idea. This can be done if we make it big enough and if we have the right partners to do it. And at that point, it was a matter of, okay, let's start a company. And, and right there and then, all these other nine companies who were in the pre-study, they basically said, good luck. And and I stood there on my own with, with sort of the idea, which I still really liked. And then I started the company. And that's yeah. kind of how it all got, got going. So you were sort of very much in 2016 sort of stood there with a strong belief that this company, this idea is going to work. Um, looking on your website, I can see you've got a large number of companies on board. They're all investors in the company in uh, Liquid Wind as well. So they are clearly sort of believing in you, believing in the idea, believing in the in the concept. And they're, they're, that you've chosen them very carefully, I noticed, because of the way the supply that you're going to provide. So you've got the electrolyzers coming from like the likes of Siemens Energy. You've got Carbon Clean to help you with that CO2 extraction. Um, from the uh, CHP plant. Then you've got how the Topso with the methanol synthesis with the catalysts in the methanol synthesis. Um, And then you've got Alpha Laval providing some of the heat exchanges. Then I saw you've got Uniper that have become an investor. So now the biggest news is, of course, that you've got Orsted on board with this flagship one uh, project. So let's turn to flagship one now. So you've got the investment. You've even got investments um, as I saw towards the end of last year from Swedish authorities to help with the investment in that first plant um, in yes. Sweden. 
it's it's a very very big grant from the Swedish government, which we're very grateful for. But it's a grant for the capital expenses into the plant. So just to be clear, we get that grant once we have invested in the plant. Then we get some money back from the from the Swedish government, and it's the Swedish EPA. So you're starting construction, I believe, on this this plant. Uh, is that this year you're starting construction? Well, that's the plan. I mean, in order to start construction, you need to have an investment decision. In order to have an investment decision, when your project finance, you need to have everything in place. You need to have your PPAs. You need to have your offtake agreements. And and we're now in that space where those two are the last bits we have left, with of course getting an approval on the permit. But once we have supply demand and approval permitting, then we can make that investment decision and then we will start construction. And yes, the intent is to do that during this year. Now, with uh, so, so what will Orsted add to that? So Orsted adds the stability and, and the no, experience is the wrong word. It's, it's more than that. The confidence that we now have a real solid partner who's executed, I think they talk about 51 projects so far. So they, they know how to build projects. They know how to finance projects. They know all the hurdles you need to go through, both on the regulatory and on the, on the permitting side. And, and for all those things, they are with us, so to speak. They now partner up with us as we go through the last phase of the development side of the project up to what we call FID ready. And then mm-hmm. at FID ready stage, they have the option to buy the rest of the project, the ones that they don't own right now, and then to essentially construct or execute on building the facility. So it means that we have a partner that can not only take us through to FID, but also take us beyond into construction. So it's it's a really, really good thing for us. And 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 for that to come alive, we now need to get the off taker. So someone out there has to pay a sl- certain premium to get this beautiful green electrofuel. And that's what we're looking for right now. But once we have them there and they're they're able and willing to pay what we need to pay to get this first project off the ground, then then we're essentially good to go. Well, that, that was going to be my next question about who's going to use the fuel. Uh, there, there's, there's, there were two elements to that. One is, why do you decide that the fuel that you're going to make would be targeted towards the shipping industry? Um, and secondly, how far are you into those discussions? We've heard the likes of Maersk have started to invest heavily into, into methanol fuel. And I know that some of those vessels are going to be destined for the Baltic. How are you in those discussions, not necessarily with with Maersk, I'm not saying you're talking to Maersk, but how far are you in those discussions generally with the shipping industry to secure their commitment to e-methanol as a fuel? And secondly, what's your projections for ramping up? I believe this first plant you've put on the website capacity is of about 70 megawatts, which will give you 50,000 tonnes of methanol a year. Um You've got plans for up to 10 sites, I think, or your your hope is to have 10 facilities up and running by 2030. So how what how do you envisage that 50,000 tons and then 50,000 times 10, let's say, to be sold into the shipping industry? So so how far are we into shipping? We've been talking to shipping since we started. I mean, that, that's how we started. It was a shipping conference in 2015. It was the 
F-ship project, as we talk about here, and the conversion of the Germanica. The people that did the conversion were very close to them. The guy who worked for Wurzler, when that happened, he's on our team since the last five years. So we're deep into the shipping space, and and, and we've been following it very closely, both because it's interesting and, and we like it and we think it will go first, but also because it's key for the financing. When we build a plant or when we sell a plant, it's crucial that whoever wants to invest in that plant knows that we have a buyer that is big enough to take the fuel not only for this year, but actually for 10 years into the future. And the shipping industry is is one of the very few that we could identify that has the capacity to buy essentially half a million tons of fuel in one shot. We're not going to deliver in one shot, but you need to be able to make that commitment. And and you did mention Mask. I mean, they have shown that they are willing to put their money where their mouth is and, and, and to go ahead and order 12 ships. And I think that's been hugely helpful for the industry that now it's beginning to happen. So the ship orders are coming. The engine manufacturers are, are ready to deliver their engines. The only thing left, so to speak, is the fuel guys. And we're a part of the fuel guys. So we're in a hurry to ramp up and, and do as much as we can. And, and of course, the 50,000 tons come out of flagship one is, is, is a small thing, right? It just sort of whets the appetite. And, and we want to build, if it's 10 plants or if it's more, we'll see. But, but a 50,000 ton plant is our standard building block. And then we want to multiply that. So we might have a twin plant or a triple plant that we can build next. But the idea is to have the same design concept, the same partners doing it, and, and simplify the engineering of the next plant as much as possible in order to keep costs down. Because we've got to work our way down that cost curve as as efficiently as we can. So our, our thinking right now is that the next site, what we call Flagship 2, is likely a twin or potentially even a triple and it will also be in Sweden, and it will be a very similar setup as the one we have for Flagship One. But that's the idea. And then going forward, we can have multiple triples. And, and why we cannot do bigger ones in Sweden is because we can't get a power connection that is any bigger. To get 200 megawatts of, of power connection is probably as far as we can go in the locations where we can also find the carbon dioxide. If we want to have more, we need to go somewhere completely different, and then it's down to the desert somewhere where we put in place a huge solar plant and we put in place our own. So we have our own power supply and then our own hydrogen production, and then we'll have to figure out a, another way to get the CO2 there. In, t- in terms of the shipping industry, there's a lot of debate about the fuels that are going to be opted for. and. To some extent, it's become a discussion that's like it's either ammonia or it's going to be methanol. It's going to be one or the other. I don't like to think like that. I see it more as a as, as compatible with different different elements. But I'm, I'm right in saying, though, that even though methanol emits a CO2 because it's using CO2 in its production, it's neutral or it's um, kind of carbon neutral in terms of its overall footprint. But the other very positive thing is it's already able to be used on the ship. It doesn't need a complete new redesign of the ships in the way that ammonia does, does it? So, and the Germanica, the um, the Stena vessel, um, Stena Germanica, proved that uh, as being the case. But that there are some other issues um, with methanol as a fuel in terms of safety um, aspects. But that must be a very 
very positive thing that you go out there and, and sell, is it, about the, uh, the, the ability for methanol to be used almost immediately? Yeah, and, and, and the almost immediate has now been six years in the making for me because we've deliberately been working on this thing to, to make it happen and to make sure that we get the regulation in place and we get people gradually more comfortable. And we've talked to the, to the engine companies numerous, numerous times and, and they have been anything from not interested at all to, to sort of lukewarm. And now it's like, hmm, this is a good idea. And now we really want to do it. So it's, it's just taken some time to mature. And I, I think we are at the sort of, at the I mean, tipping point we talked about yesterday, we had our advisory board yesterday, that we are at the tipping point. People not only want to do it, there's also the equipment now to do it. The only only little thing left is that we need to get over that that green premium hurdle. But yeah, we're, we're all there. And and whether it's it's ammonia or it's it's methanol, you can debate that forever. I think let's just get on with it and, and start to produce fuel and see what happens. And I think we will likely realize that there's so enormously big volumes of fuel that we need to produce that it's not going to be an either or. It's going to be everything and everyone who can please come to the party and supply. Because, I mean, the, the targets are that we need to deliver about 30 million tons of fuel by 2030. And that's the Mask McKinley Center sort of estimate if we're going to be on, the, on a target to reach our 2050 goals. And 30 million tons is just like phenomenally much. I mean, we, we think if we push the very, very hardest we can, we might be at two and a half million tons from liquid wind. And then there's still, yeah, whatever that is, 12 times that left that somebody else doesn't do. So please go and do whatever you can and, and let's get, get this thing going because the problem is, is so huge. This is the Aranax Podcast, the podcast about the transformation of the shipping and ocean space. So that was Klaus Fredriksson from Liquid Wind, the Swedish e-methanol producer, which has just secured Orsted, the Danish energy company, as a partner. But Liquid Wind was not the only company making the news last week. Elsewhere in the industries, Waste Fuel announced its plans to produce methanol for shipping. The US-based company has AP Muller-Mersk as a stakeholder. The Danish liner now ordering a fleet of 16,000 TU container ships that will be fueled by methanol. Hydrogen developments are also happening. Shell has been looking at building a hydrogen production facility in the port of Rotterdam with a capacity of about 200 megawatts of green hydrogen. While no final decision has been made, it has brought in German engineers Tyson Krupp to help. Norway's Teco 2030 announced that it is developing fuel cells and has teamed up with Genta Energy with an MOU. The two companies assure us that the MOU will commit them to getting green hydrogen from Genta Energy and developing a complete hydrogen value chain. And in other news, US class society ABS and South Korea's Hyundai Heavy Industries will work on an autonomous vessel project. There are reports that it's an LNG carrier that may be used as a demonstration vessel. In the coming days, the International Maritime Organization's Ship Design and Construction Subcommittee will meet and under discussion is the impact of noise from ships on the marine environment. A set of guidelines written by the flag states and other representatives at the IMO in 2014 has largely been ignored and it's widely believed in the scientific community that the noise of ships, engines and the cavitation from propellers is becoming a big problem. 
More details about these announcements and others can of course be found on the Fathom World website. Visit the website on fathom.world and there you can subscribe to the newsletter, get news and updates and links to new podcast episodes in your inbox. And of course, I really would like it if you could share and like this podcast and follow it on whatever podcast app you like to use. I hope to have another episode out next week. I'm going to be talking to two of the co-founders of Spanish Wind Assist developers Bound for Blue about their journey from startup to reality and plans to become part of the transformation and transition of our shipping and maritime space. I'm Craig Eason. Thanks for listening, particularly right to the end. It's always appreciated, especially when feedback is so infrequent. Until the next time, goodbye.